0: Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory.
1: Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at MountWashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory. Write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603-356-2137. And here's your forecast for Friday, September 15th and Saturday, September 16th. And this is one of those weekends where it's really important to go to Higher Summit's uh, forecast uh, sponsored by the Mount Washington uh, Observatory and read the discussion section because there's a lot going on. But, um, you know, with the hurricane coming through, Hurricane Lee, which is, you know, off to the east, thankfully. Uh, so I think we're missing a lot of the uh, the worst of it. But unfortunately, on the higher summits, we're still looking at uh, sustained winds uh, up and over 100 mile an hour with gusts. And... Um, this is not going to be limited to the higher summers. They're saying that even at uh 4,000 foot level, you could easily see gusts of 70 to 90 miles an hour, um, which obviously can lead to uh, downed trees and, uh, you know, blowdowns, lost power, and hypothermia, of course, in the cooler weather. So check it out and uh, just be aware before you head out this weekend uh, even if you're not planning to do the presidential range and you're looking at some of the, the smaller 4Ks. Alrighty, so for Friday, in the clear under increasingly cloudy skies, mid-40s, with winds shifting north northeast at 25 to 40 miles an hour, increasing to 35 to 50 miles an hour, with a wind chill 15 to 25 above, rising to 25 to 35 above. So Again, make sure you're also packed for that colder weather. Friday night, starting in the clear under cloudy skies, then trending into the clouds. Slight chance of rain showers after midnight. Low in the mid-30s with a wind northeast at 35 to 50 miles an hour, increasing to 50 to 70 miles per hour with gusts up to 85 miles an hour. Wind chill falling to 15 to 25 above. And here's Saturday in the clouds with rain showers. Rain showers could be heavy times in the afternoon with a high in the lower 40s winds northeast shifting north at 60 to 80 miles per hour with gusts up to 95 miles per hour 85 to 105 mile an hour with gusts up to 120 miles per hour midday and then 70 to 90 miles per hour with gusts up to 110 miles per hour late with a wind chill of 15 to 25 above rising to 20 to 30 above All right, take care and be safe out there.
0: From the Woodpecker studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump.
2: All right, Stomp. So welcome to episode 121 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we welcome back our friend Keith Gentilly. So Keith is the author of White Mountain State, a four-year journey hiking and summiting New Hampshire's 48 highest peaks. So Keith has graciously agreed to come back so that we can do a deeper dive into Acadia National Park. So, planning a trip up to Bahaba and Acadia for the fall, Keith will give us the rundown on the trails to hike and all the sights to see. In addition to Acadia, we um We'll be giving more details out on a recent fatality that happened on South Baldface. We'll be talking about the new route for Reach the Beach, um, which will be running through uh, central New Hampshire. Um, There's an active cave rescue going on in Turkey, and we've got recent search and rescue news on Mount Cabot, the Jewel Trail, and Arethusa Falls. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. So let's roll here, Stop. So um Yes. So this is our uh, welcome to episode one twenty one of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast here. We're on a Sunday night here, Keith. Any comments about that, Mr. Oh
1: Keith? I'm sorry. That's,
3: that's my two. Yeah. Yes, it's the first Sunday football season. We have the rest of twenty twenty-three yeah. with football every weekend. Think about that. We have to go through a weekend without football. Our wives are thrilled. They're thrilled.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So... Keith, I'm one of these guys, so I'm always into sports, but I am one of these people that sort of like my passion around specific teams and sports sort of like fluctuates a little bit. So like I've had years where I've been like, I haven't missed a single Red Sox game, and then I'll have like two, three seasons where I'm just not feeling it, Um, but mostly between the Red Sox and the Patriots. But this year I've signed up for two fantasy football leagues, and then I'm also kind of into college football right now. So I think I'm going through like a a football phase right Right now, but given tonight's game, so we're recording right after oh, the Patriots geez. just lost to the Eagles. Um, definitely an ugly start to the season, but uh, you know, there's some. The defense looks promising. Um, I still don't love the amount of mistakes that the Patriots are making, um, especially like that the, the fourth quarter there. It just seems like too many small mistakes. Mac Jones is not really managing the team the way I want to see it. But we'll we'll see how sure. it goes. I don't know if you have any take your sports writer, so we might as well sure.
3: Start. So I start with uh, the 25 years 28 years of fantasy football something like that uh same with fantasy baseball i'm a lifelong you know junkie and uh patriot season ticket holder uh yeah i think this team's got a lot of problems but i'm encouraged i think we i I think today went just fine uh considering the talent or lack of talent on this team they hung in there they had a shot they 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 gave us a chance they almost won that game um Mm -hmm. And the Eagles are really good. They're a much better team on on paper. Uh, they went to the Super Bowl last year, as you know. And the Patriots had the opportunity; they really did. But of course, they make mistakes. They did a lot of things wrong. But that's what teams that who lack talent do. Um, you know, that's what they're going to do. And so, uh, you know, eight and nine, nine and eight, ten and seven. If it goes well, seven and ten. If it goes bad, I mean, they're a middle of the pack kind of team. And you know, I think. Um, but I thought today was much, I thought it was. I thought they were in for, uh, you, know, they, you know, they go down 16 nothing early in the first quarter, and they show that stat, the fourth worst first quarter in Bill Belichick's career, and you're like, wow, but he's won two of those games, and you start to think, wow, this, this is really something. Maybe we have something happening, and then they come back. That failed two-point conversion, the holding call on the two-point conversion, that's the mistake that you're talking about. That's the one you can't get back. You know, because then instead it's a field yes. goal to tie, and they're in overtime at home. You know, visiting teams, you know, tired. You've got the fans on your side. You go into overtime. That's a game you can win at home, but they don't get the two point conversion. Now they're down five. They've got to get a touchdown. No timeouts. Just too much. Can't do it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Stop. Maybe we we may we might have to start a, a sounds like a search and rescue sports podcast.
1: <laughs> oh,
3: dude, I,
2: I would kill myself before I join that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy.
1: Oh yeah, boy. Keith we better change
2: tack right now before Stomp gets mad at us here. Um, Here's
3: what I'll say, Stop. I'll say, you know, it's like my hiking ability today, I'm the Patriot. And okay. like Eric Todd's tweet would be the Eagles. And I'd be yeah. I'd be chasing him. I'd be chasing him about <laughs> you know up Mount Washington up the ammo ravine trail, going, I'm I'm as good as you. I I I can keep up. No. Just can't. <laughs> Just,
2: okay, that's language I can understand. Oh yeah, I get it. Oh boy. Well, anyway, um, so funny. the one thing I will say, and then we'll move on, Keith. I promise, is that I am trending to win both of my uh, fantasy week one fantasy football. So I'm on a good trend there. So I'm happy. So good to hear. All right, so I'm on to hiking here. So we got flags on the forty-eight. Was this weekend? Um, any updates from your your side? I haven't really been. I, uh, I have a crazy weekend, so I haven't been able to get out there. But what are you hearing?
1: Well, I, I heard that um, all the peaks were covered, so that is the big news of the weekend. So that's a, well, always what they strive for, and I don't think there's been a, uh, a year that they haven't accomplished that, so congratulations to everybody that hiked, that uh, flew a flag on each of the 48 peaks for the 4,000 footers, and this is obviously in a memorial or in commemoration of, uh, September 11th, which, uh, as we're recording now, it will be tomorrow morning. And I know some people, some hardcore folks are going up tomorrow to the old man of the mountain to fly a flag in the pouring rain. So that's going to be pretty epic, which they do every year as well. Uh, so yeah, that's the latest update. I've seen some pictures. Some of the listeners have posted pics of their flags flying. Um, and if people don't know, generally, um, it's the, usually the Saturday of the weekend or the Saturday before um, people will go up with these giant PVC poles and hoist flags up on top of the summits and uh, some years you have the uh, New Hampshire Army National Guard do flyovers and things like that but it's a very patriotic event and uh, it's, it's uh, very touching so congrats again for a successful year uh, the, the weather wasn't uh, certainly that cooperative but it looked like it worked out
2: good enough excellent and um, just switching topics here stomp I wanted to just get this in we had talked about last week the incident or the the the, the fatal um, incident that happened on South baldface in 2021 there's a lawsuit that's been filed by the parents of a 17 year old student out of lakes region or lake region high school so this is the this is not in, this high school is not in Hampshire this is the school that I believe is located in Naples Maine which is over by long Lake in Sebago in that area so they went on a a group hike with, um, I think, you know, members, staff from the school, and a group of kids. They did, you know, South Baldface. I don't know exactly what the itinerary was, but um, there's been an additional update on this that I was sent by a listener. That um, it's a YouTube video that I'll include in the show notes. Uh, this one looks really bad for the school, honestly. And I and I understand the defense attorneys will be, you know, when they file their lawsuits, they're going to get. You know, uh, there's a media strategy that's involved here, but this looks bad. There's a 17 year old that has died, and one of the classmates that was on the trip is actually speaking out. And um, they're, they're, they're. Message around this trip is that the, the one of the one of the chaperones was pushing the students beyond their limits, was withholding water. Um, it just looks like a really bad situation. My, my perspective is this thing's never going to court. They're going to have to settle this one. Uh, my guess is they'll probably have to exit the uh, the school administrators that were involved in this, cut a big check to the family, and you know it's going to be a lesson learned. But I think if you're a listener here and you're involved in any of these large student chaperone trips that are that involve hiking I think you know you got to look at the number of students to chaperones that ratio you've got to look at the difficulty of the hike and I think you got to like really ear on the side of like uh, safety on this Th- this student from what I can gather on the video was not an athletic type of person seemed like he was a nice kid uh, but you know you got to really think twice about getting a big group of kids that have varying different physical levels in a, in a strenuous hike like this because it's it's it can turn to ugly yeah, I'm not surprised they settled out. If that's what
1: they're reporting, I mean, sometimes these cases are. Just-
2: well, no, they haven't settled, but I'm I'm speculating that they will settle. It's it's this is just the filing at this point, but it's definitely a, a lesson for people to take away when it comes to these large group outings. No, no question about it. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, Other piece of news here we have, Stomp. Here, there's an, we talked about this multiple times in the last uh, probably 10 or 12 episodes around these like cave rescues and uh, uh, different situations. So, there's an active cave rescue going on in Turkey. There's an American caver or researcher that is stuck in a cave called the Morka Caves, which that sounds pretty, that's a scary name for a cave. Uh, But he's a thousand meters under the ground, which I think is like 3,000 feet and has some kind of a medical issue with internal bleeding. Uh, They've been working to exit him from the cave. He's gone up about 300 meters, uh, but there's some tight sections in this cave, and they're working through to... Help save this trapped American explorer. He's in stable condition as the rescue operations are going on, uh, but it's going to take a while. They got 190 personnel from eight countries assisting in the rescue efforts, and um, you know there's a lot going on in this cave here. So he's been as far down as 3,400 feet below the ground. Oh um, man, That's so terrifying. Yeah, so I don't know how long it's going to take, but this this is going to be something that's probably going to go on for the next 10 days or so. So he just can't mobilize on his own? Is that the story? Apparently, yeah. And I think that there's a number of tight you know sections of this cave that they've got to get him through and he's physically um experiencing internal bleeding so they're trying to stabilize him and then get him moving and you know there's some some parts where they just can't they can't package him up and, and pull him through sure yeah that makes sense wow that's pretty deep it's amazing how some some of these holes are so deep it's incredible Yeah, yeah. I definitely would not be going down into uh, a cave that deep personally, but it it happens. And, you know, we talked about during like when the uh, submarine issue popped up uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about these cave incidents as well. So another one hits the news. Uh, locally here in New Hampshire Stomp, uh, coming up this weekend, uh, you know, so we'll be releasing this show on Friday. Uh, people should keep an eye out. Reach the Beach is happening in New Hampshire on Saturday and, or Friday afternoon, Saturday and, um... I think Saturday afternoon is when they typically finish, but this year it's been rerouted. So reach the beach for people that aren't familiar, if listeners aren't familiar with this, this is a 200 mile relay that starts at Attitash Mountain and goes all the way to Hampton, New Hampshire. So teams of 12 do a a relay style run where you run anywhere from like three miles to about 10 miles a leg, Uh, two vans. The vans will switch off and, um, and run through the night, and typically it takes about 24 to 36 hours for these teams to finish the event. Uh, traditionally, this event has gone through the North Conway and Tamworth area. Uh, there's been a number of incidents over the years of local officials complaining because they're big babies, but... Um, <laughs> this year, um, North Conway and Tamworth voted to not allow Reach the Beach to go through their town. So Reach the Beach had to uh, reroute the, the course. And now they're going all the way. They're basically starting from Adatash. They're going to go up 302, turn down Twin Mountain, and run through... Um, run through Franconia, so they're going to be running on the the bike paths in Franconia and then following Route 3 down into the Lakes region. So anybody in those areas of Plymouth, um, your neck of the woods stop just has to be aware that Reach the Beach is going to be coming along Route 3 probably on late Friday afternoon into Friday evening.
1: Okay, good to know. We'll we'll keep a, a lookout
2: yep so it's going to be unfortunate I think that um, there's going to be you know, I don't know from North Conway's perspective but apparently they don't want them going through there it does get a little bit messy on West Side Road and on to Passa Conway um, you know Tamworth and Madison they've complained about them being on the road too much and it's a difficult Friday afternoon commute but I, th- I, I think it was overblown but it is what it is at this point so we'll see how it goes maybe Plymouth will complain now you've done the race yourself haven't you? Yeah, probably about seven times. So I won't be doing it this time because I'm I'm going to be traveling, but I'm looking forward to maybe doing it next year on the new route. Nice. Yep. All right, Stomp. Next one we have here to just keep going on this theme of news is hiking trails are for people. Uh, A GMC Canyon pickup truck (laughs) got stuck at 14,000 feet in Colorado. So, um... Somebody took a wrong turn, kept going on this this road, this trail that they thought was a road, and eventually this truck got stuck like just below 14,000 feet on a trail that is, um, I guess it bypasses like four 14,000 footers, but uh, it's not really much for, for trucks. But they got a bobcat out there to pull the guy out, and I guess the truck is back to normal. It had Alabama plates. It was in Colorado, so it's not surprising that that's what happened. <laughs> Come on. How do you make a mistake like that? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it is nutty. It is nutty. So I'll include the the link to the article. It's got a bunch of great pictures. Actually, matter of fact, if I were GMC pictures? or GM, yeah. you know, I would probably pull some of these pictures, you know, don't, don't <laughs> tell anyone that it's stuck, but just look, it looks good up there. Roll Tide. It did get yeah. up there. Roll Tide. It can handle a 14,000 yeah. footer yeah but it's like an uh, yeah uh, uh, oh is it alabama or arkansas i apologize it may, it may arkansas. be arkansas. Oh. yeah yeah so no rule tied unfortunately but it's a you know the bobcat got it out and it's i guess on its way back to going on normal roads so don't take a wrong turn we've definitely had that issue with like people turning up jefferson notch road in the winter by mistake and you know it can happen to anybody
1: This is actually an interesting subculture because it mentions here that a volunteer organization called Colorado 4x4 Rescue and Recovery uh, came to the rescue and and got the truck out. So that's a really interesting YouTube subculture. And there's some channels called, uh, there's one that in particular, Matt's Off-Road Recovery, where they're out in Arizona in the deserts and uh, dragging people that get stuck out there. But if anybody's interested for uh, a good good video watch look up uh some of these channels on youtube it's a riot uh yeah it's incredible the the machinery they have to
2: get these cars actually out is so impressive yeah there's like um it sounds like there's like a search and rescue group for every type of scenario
1: yeah including dumbasses Ah! from
2: never mind sorry now, do you think you could get your Tacoma up there, Stomp? Oh,
1: yeah. uh, that's questionable, but I, I, I guess I'd give it a shot.
2: Honestly, I thought that we were gonna need a rescue. Remember, remember when we went down Sandwich Notch Road in your Tacoma? And oh, yeah, it was like completely iced over. I thought we were gonna need a rescue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a bad one. That is a bad one for sure. Keith, in all your travels, what's the worst like driving? predicament you've ever gotten into have you ever gotten into any, oh, yeah, any issues
3: sure the main six-pack is such an adventure uh elephant when we were doing elephant that road up there there was a bridge that or, or like a uh, culvert that was washed out and you know it's you've got to make decisions are you going to try and go or are we going to park and walk further and there were a couple on the main six-pack that were real sketchy um you know for the for folks out there who who are who have chased that 100 highest, the New England 100 highest. I mean, you get up on those logging roads, and anything is, uh, you go around a corner, you just don't know what's waiting for you. And it was unlike anything in New Hampshire. I mean, this is northern Maine, north of Rangeley. Uh, yeah, yeah and, and Elephant is the one that that, that rings a bell the most. Uh, just between weather and washout, uh, just crazy, crazy.
2: In those logging roads, there's no signs, right? You have to just sort of go by map as you're
0: driving. Yeah,
3: yeah, you're not going to, and trail reports, and where, where other people have parked previously, and it's all uh, moving parts, you know, on any given time of the year, you might be parking, you know, a half mile from the trailhead, or maybe you can get to the trailhead. It just depends on either your vehicle, how aggressive the driver is, weather, uh, and a combination of all those things.
2: Yeah, I haven't played around much in Maine. I mean, I've done a little bit, but like probably the sketchiest road that I've been on was when I went up to do the fifty-two with the view hikes in the far north, and I had to go to McGalloway. Um, that road down there. I had a, I have a, four, I had a cheap Cherokee at the time, and you know it's a four-wheel drive, but even then I was a little bit sketched out by the yeah. road.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, so. you know, you're, you're, you're trusting some elements because you know other people have been here before you. You're like, well, they've made it. We can do this, but it's always, you know, it just changes day, you know, it's day to day, day to day on some of the the way those roads are built.
2: Yeah. You get a rainstorm and you're going to get rutted out and it's going to get ugly all right um next up here stomp you wanted to put in a plug here our friend al sent this in and you wanted to just make sure that if the listeners weren't aware that they should be checking out the trek so there's a number of different websites that we go to to get resources like i always talk about um philip warner the section hiker website um the trek is another one of these sites stomp so do you want to just sort of give your your perspective on this
1: yeah, it's, it's very simple. It's a resource for through hikers and they emphasize the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and they post articles uh, relevant to those three uh, courses. They have podcast links, resources, they have a blog, and uh, people can post uh, updates on their adventures. So it's a really nice resource for people that are uh, adventuring
2: on these long, longer through hikes. Yeah, and one of the the my favorite things to do when I'm when I do need to utilize the trek.com is um, or I think it's the co Anyway, whenever I have to utilize the trek um, their survey so they run a survey every year of through hikers I think on the Appalachian Trail and the PCT and they 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 survey them about everything you know what are the what trail runners versus boots what's the brand the tent type the hammock types trekking poles basically any type of gear that you can imagine for a through hike they will survey so you can actually go on and look at the trek surveys and it'll tell you like okay what's the best brand of a down jacket that the Appalachian Trail through hiker are using this year so it's really helpful when you're trying to like shop for gear and make a decision on you know what kind of stove do I want to buy um, you can see a lot of times like all the thru hikers have the same type of down jacket or the same type of through um, stove and you can kind of say like all right, well, I'm probably not going to go wrong with this because all the AT thru hikers are using it copy that you
3: know, excellent it, resource you know, budget of course the budget depending on your budget right <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, yeah there's a lot of the, the gear is not cheap for sure. Um, and then up next stomp we got a reminder that the Kilkenny uh, Ridge race is this Saturday um, yeah. So White Mountain Endurance is running this one. Uh, so it's Saturday September 16th and there's two versions of this race. there's the uh, the one way and then the out and back and I believe is this, does it start from South Pond to go or does it start from the wommbe side? uh i honestly don't recall uh i think it's i want to say long but
1: i am not 100 percent certain but i just wanted to mention because it is the last in the series uh they've had several races this summer and they've all been uh completed safely thank god and uh looks like the weather's going to be pretty decent and um as usual, they're probably looking for volunteer help. So if anybody's available, go to WhitemountainEndurance.com or W M E and check it out. See if you can help. It, uh, it's always helpful to have the volunteer help up on the trails for the runners.
2: Yeah, yeah. And to the runners that are doing this race, if you haven't done this race before, like I'm really, you know, my well wishes to you. Going through the weeks is just an, an amazing experience. It's like nothing else in the whites. <laughs> There's a lot oh, yeah. of like blowdowns, ferns. It's it's very gnarly. So good luck to you. But it, it is, you know, <laughs> it's a smaller section, but it's it's an adventure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
0: oh, it, right, does say,
2: it does say South Pond, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. great. So it starts from the north.
0: Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stomp.
2: All right, Stomp, a little bit of pop culture talk. So last week we ran out of time, but we didn't get a chance to talk about Jimmy Buffett. So rest in peace to Jimmy (laughs) Buffett. Do you have any Jimmy Buffett stories?
1: I do not. Nope. It's just uh, a worthy announcement, though. It's definitely worth noting. He's a okay. legend. Yep.
2: All right. Well, I have a Jimmy Buffett story. I've been to Jimmy Buffett probably about five or six times back wow. in my uh, post-college days. Um, I was Parrothead, and me and my friends, once we graduated, we had a little bit of money in our pockets. So maybe we were going when we were in college. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But the one story that I do have is we, uh, we lost a friend at Man, uh, Mansfield. Um, the tw- I forget what it was called, the Tweeter Center, the uh, Comcast Center, whatever they call it right now. But um, we, went, uh, big, we went to a friend lived in Mansfield. I think it was a friend of mine. His fraternity brother lived in Mansfield. So we went all day party. Then we went to the concert. We took a, a yellow bus all of our friends went and um, unfortunately we all went inside we were partying on the lawn a lot of drinking going on and we missed one of our friends disappeared on us and we waited in the parking lot at the end of the concert for our friend to show up uh, and he was missing so back in back in those days you had no cell phones no way to get in contact with anybody so we had to make the decision on whether to leave or not so we did leave my friend rich and unfortunately you know the next day we're looking around trying 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 to figure out where he might be, he was a missing person. So we had to make a decision. You know, we had to go back home. We had to make a decision on whether or not we were going to notify Rich's family that he was a missing person. (laughs) So, uh, being the cowards that we were, we waited until like the very end of the day, hoping that he might show up. Didn't show up, so we felt it was our duty to go to um, our friend Rich's mother's house, knock on the door. We just said, like, you know, he's been missing. She's like, what do you mean he's missing? Said, we haven't seen him since he left the bus. Um, what ended up happening is so the mother is calling around no one can see him so he's missing for about two days I believe um, which was pretty crazy what ended up happening is that um, he, he nature was calling when we got to the parking lot at the uh, Mansfield uh, tweeter center back then and unfortunately uh, as nature was calling our friend got arrested by a police officer for you know uh, heeding that call in, in the parking lot so he was in. The, he was in the police station for two days. He finally got bailed out and came home. And he was mad at us because we tipped off his mother that he was missing, and he had to fess up to the story. But um, we always kind of laugh about that. It's a friend group story, but yeah. <laughs> crazy things get a little wild at the parrot heads.
3: <laughs>
2: parrot
1: heads. I don't know. Though,
3: he was worth a billion dollars at the time of his death, Jimmy Buffett. A- billion with a b and his music you know his music fine you know i'm not here to critique it but his business acumen to turn it into hotels and restaurants not you know very few bands have ever done that if anyone other bands have built culture but not business not like that not billion incredible incredible
2: yeah, yeah. I wondered about that. I didn't really I didn't read an article about his net worth, but that I'm not surprised. I think I think they even have like a a, a, a retirement community in Florida that is licensed for Margaritaville. So it's he's everywhere.
3: Yeah. Crazy.
2: Crazy. Yep. Yeah. All right, well Rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett. And then uh, the only other pop culture thing we have here, Stomp, is a one chip challenge claims the life of a young man in Massachusetts. So, this is a some kind of a spicy potato chip type of snack that's being sold as like the, the spiciest chip that you can buy. And unfortunately, a young, young student, I think about 14, 15 year old kid in Worcester, had eaten one of these chips. And unfortunately, I, I don't know what happened. He had a medical incident and passed away. So, um, I think. He, any of these sort of food challenges or things that you do that are extreme I would caution people not to do those Um, but this one who knows we'll have to see what what the findings are with the medical examination after uh, it comes out maybe something else is going on but this seems a little weird
1: yeah, I would think so. So, apparently, this chip is made out of Carolina Reapers and Naga Viper Peppers, some of the world's spiciest, and this company has been uh, urged and has followed through by taking the product off the shelves, which I find amazing. I mean, despite the despite the autopsy, I mean, it, it passed FDA regulations and everything else, so I find that the response is just a little odd, but it is what it is, I guess. So, there you go. I- are you They'd a been, spicy food guy, Stomp? I never asked oh, you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would assume that um, there could be something underlying with this young man, which would be unfortunate, but they have the autopsy results apparently, but they're not releasing the results from what I understand at the moment. So it's an interesting story. So sad, but interesting. But I just think the oddest thing is taking the food off the market. That's a little wild. You know, buyer beware. You know, it's food. They, they had warnings up ahead of time. Not for kids even, but going to even go near it, but uh, apparently the advice wasn't heeded. But yeah, interesting.
2: Yeah, I like spicy food, but I don't know about um, a cra- crazy spicy chip like that. Oh,
1: but. Well, it might put a kink in uh, the Hot Ones YouTube channel too, where they True. have the celebrities eating all the hot stuff. Yeah
2: True, true. All right, (laughs) Stomp. I think we're up for an ad right now. Do you want to? um, Yes, sir. Yes. We have a sponsor,
1: VaucluseGear.com. Do you have a sweat problem? Uh, Keith, yeah? No? (laughs) I'm
2: guessing you do. I I would guess he's more (laughs) likely to be a sweaty guy than Ah. not. Just, just, he gives off that vibe.
3: Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. All right. Well,
3: big guy sweat. Sweat.
2: Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, this
1: ad is for you then. Okay. Sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. This can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. We've got good news at Slasher for you. There is a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem. Vaucluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, sized 15 liters up to 65 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack it's also ultra light weighing less than a pair of socks at over at just over 3 ounces whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, the Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. So visit VaucluseGear.com to order an Ultralight Ventilation Frame today. Use promo code SLASER, SLASR to enjoy a $5 discount. Plus, let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. So yeah, those are flying off the shelves which is really cool. Anybody interested in Slasher stickers, be sure to check out Ski Fanatics off of Exit 28 in Camden, New Hampshire or off of Dascom Road, Route 93 Massachusetts in Andover at Spinner's Pizza Parlor, and there you can say hi to pop dolls and pops and get your sticker and they'll even let you take a selfie. They're super cool. Uh, advertise <laughs> Advertise with Slasher. Anybody interested in promoting their stuff uh, whatever it may be get a hold of us and we can give you our advertising plans and um, that is it
2: Stomp I was thinking as you're reading that ad like the next time that you create like your new EDM music Airflow Gap would be like an awesome name for a song <laughs> Earflow gap right, or, a, or a band itself or
1: a yeah. DJ name, DJ Earflow yeah. Yeah, gap. gap.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that would be a, a good one. So, anyway, mark that down. Okay, uh, all right. This is the part of the show where we talk about drinking beer. I've been drinking beer all weekend and I'm not <laughs> drinking any right now. It's been a rough weekend. Um, oh, man. you guys drinking anything?
3: I am, I am drinking a tree house in perpetuity because an honor.
2: Go ahead.
1: Go is it ahead. Okay.
3: All right. In honor of tonight's topic, Acadia National Park, what makes Imperpetuity In- nice. special? Not only the taste, the IPA, the haze, the juice bombness of it, um, but the artwork features Sand Beach from Acadia National Park at night, a couple standing on Sand Beach. Just a stunning beer can art that Treehouse is known for. Um, so that's what I'm drinking tonight. And uh, cheers to you, gents, because look at that. It's a great-looking beer. Great-looking
2: You got a fancy glass, too. So ironically enough, Keith, I rushed home. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. That's
3: the beach. That's the side. (laughs) Yep, it's good.
2: So I've talked about this before. My daughter goes to Worcester Polytech. Her boyfriend uh, lives in Charlton, so I just rushed back from Treehouse. I spent the afternoon there. so um, But I'm not smart Small enough world. to even realize that they had a nice, fancy, like, Acadia-themed um, beer. I, I did buy, like, I bought, like, um, two four-packs of, like, hazy IPAs. But if anyone has, if you've not gone to Treehouse in Charlton, like, you've got to check this place out. It's fantastic. Yeah, and
3: they've got concerts there now. They've got hiking trails. You can take dog. Yep. You can get... Yeah, you know, there was a time when we would visit Treehouse and we would leave with fourteen cans. That was it. You'd wait in line for an hour for fourteen cans. Now you can leave with fourteen cases. You know, you can take that dolly and wheel them out to your car. <laughs> oh and, you, and, I, and if people are doing it, you can spend you know four four thousand dollars on beer. They've got the inventory, but it is such a great place now. The food trucks are fantastic. It's. Oh, it's yeah. the Disneyland of breweries, the, the Charlton location. Deerfield is up <laughs> and running. Deerfield's fantastic too, and you probably know now they've got Tukesbury. They've got Deerfield locations yep. and they got the Cape, down on the Cape. So yeah. Crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, it was raining when we went, so I was a little bit nervous. I was like, well, is it gonna be just a mob scene inside? And it was crowded, but it wasn't like there was plenty of Options to get seats, and they have like covered seating outside as well. So it was fantastic. And you're not kidding about like people. The guy that picked up his his cans of beer before me, I was like, "Hey, buddy, save some for the rest of us." He had he had like he didn't have a dolly, but he had like you know a whole armful of it. I was like, "How are you even carrying this?" But it's it's a great place. Yeah, I
3: mean, really, guys are coming up from New York and New Jersey once a month and leaving with eight cases and. You know, basically distributing it to their entire neighborhood or their fantasy football league, things like that. You yeah. know, whoever finishes last has got to make the treehouse run.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. So, Stomp, what do you got? Anything Yeah, see? You you're walking around over there? You're, you're, you're distracting me. <laughs> I had to
1: open up the uh, the door to let Xylo uh, in, and then I cracked open the slider to get some fresh air in here. I'm dying, so mm-hmm. I'm just enjoying a uh, pumpkin spice coffee, hot coffee. Nice. Earlier today, we had a, a belated uh, birthday celebration at Fugaki with uh, Grandpa Stomp, so I had a couple of mai tais, and uh, yeah, I'm all set for beer and. Stuff tonight. I actually, yeah. before this recording, I woke up from a nap uh, with like 10 minutes to go. I'm like, oh, gotta get going. Yeah. <laughs> Did
3: you say you want to let Daphne uh, in? Is that who you said you? Oh, Daphne's! Oh,
1: Daphne's right here, actually. Here's, ah, here's Daphne. Oh, he's bigger now. She just came in as well. But Xylo Zylo's the new kitten, uh, Keith. I don't know if you know about Zylo, but he's five months old now. Oh, that's cool. he's bigger than Daphne now. He's unbelievable. He's grown so fast, and he's a cutie. You can
2: see the tail, but that's about it. <sighs> yeah, he's over at the door checking out the rain. Anywho. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, so I um, I'm not drinking anything. I, I had a couple at Treehouse today, and then I was I had a high school reunion for my wife's class in North Reading, 1993. Congratulations to you people, you're old. But I, at that one, I was at a brewery <laughs> called the Apothecary in North Reading, so highly recommend that. The Gabardi brothers are the local guys that started that up, so it's on Route twenty uh, Route twenty eight North Reading, the Apothecary. If you're looking for a cool place, another brewery that's North Shore, Massachusetts.
3: Would that be the Rockets, the North Reading Rockets?
2: nope that's the Redding Rockets the North Redding Hornets Keith. ah jeez the Hornets my wife will sting you <laughs> my wife is from
3: Wilmington so she's from that area I know Tewksbury and yes. the Redmond Wilmington
2: are the Wildcats uh, oh yeah 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 they're the border town so anyways there's a lot of good breweries around uh, so Treehouse and Apothecary um, Stomp any recent hikes for you
1: no, sir. I, I had uh, some search and rescue training this weekend and then there was actually a search and rescue call. So that ate up every second I had. Um, and I've been busy tweaking all this gear still. So that's been good though. Yeah. So, and we have some yep. new gear gear ideas for you, Mike, coming, coming your way, which is a... Okay a neat idea I think um, we'll expand uh, your ability to have some guests in your own
2: uh, Woodpecker's South Studio and that's a oh, really yeah. exciting idea yeah yeah Stomp's gonna set me up so I can have guests in the uh, the basement here which will be fun um, I haven't done any hiking Stomp I'm just packing for Yosemite I'm heading out this week uh, Keith you got anywhere recently anywhere cool you want to talk about in the here yeah
3: sure I've been working on the terrifying 25 thanks, oh uh, boy
2: my favorite thanks to
3: the success <laughs> of my cortisone show. And my arthritic knees, I'm back out there. I'm happy to report I'm getting back out. And so uh, last weekend, actually the weekend before last, I did Santa's Village on a Saturday with the wife and kids. And my kids are in college, but we still do Santa's Village. We try and get out there every year. And then on Sunday, I went up uh, Appalachia, went up to King Ravine. Actually, I I went up and then came down to King Ravine via, and I hope I say it right. Some of your listeners, are gonna pounce on me, but on the yep. the world famous shameen Des Dames Desdames. Des Dames.
2: You, yeah, you did better than I did. Stop,
3: help me out. Desdames. des dames. Yes. The like point four miles took me one and a half hours. Oh really? Yep. Yep. And the gentleman at the trailhead, one of the White Mountain National Forest guys with the map, says, It's gonna take you an hour to do that point four. And I thought, okay, I believe you. And he's like, "Be careful down as you get down on the second half of it." Now it's a point four mile trail. He's like, "As you get down on the second half, point two down." He's like, you, "It's easy to lose that trail." And I was with my knucklehead nephew, and we lost the trail. I was chasing him, and I'm, Josh, you got to stay left. And he kept going right, you know, because you're. It's really tough. Um, it's a demanding trail. It drops about a thousand feet in point four, and. It's earned its spot. I mean, it's it's something. It was, uh, and one thing that has never happened to me in my all my hiking, and uh, I ended up somewhat vertical, or or, you know, like like just making a move, and a full Nalgene bottle slid out of a pocket in my in my backpack in my uh, my Osprey, you know, uh, Talon thirty three. It got out of a pocket that nothing has ever fallen out of, but it was a full bottle, so it was you know it was heavy. And when I was upright or or flipped and it it slid out and it went through cracks and crevices, I never heard it land. I lost it. I lost it. And uh, and I lost a full bottle of water, you know, I don't know, three miles, three miles from the trailhead. And that was, uh, yeah, we were going to go up. We were thinking about going up to Thunderstorm Junction, Thunderhead Junction.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And, uh. We ended up not doing that. We ended up going back to Appalachia, but I but we checked off that trail, which was nice.
2: Got it. Yeah, I think cool. when I did that trail for the terrifying twenty-five, I actually went. I started Great Gulf, went up Madison Gulf, came down Shamin Des Dame, and then back up the Great Gully, and then um, came <laughs> around. That was a long yes. day, though.
3: Huge. Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh um, yeah, my yeah, gosh, That you mean does name that is a steep and the problem with that trail too is that it's it's um, there's a lot of like you got to kind of like jump from one rock to the right. other you're probably a taller guy than I am but I, I had to like jump down a couple of times I don't really like doing that because that's where you you know you twist an ankle you, you blow your knee out it's not fun
3: The ladies path by the way if you're translating in French <laughs> I learned I learned from a fellow hiker the ladies path and uh
1: Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know, my, uh, oh, you know what my you know my favorite T twenty five is? Storyland.
0: <laughs>
1: that should be an elective, right? Elective T25? That's right. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, so that's actually... I'm curious, Keith. So you so you take your adult kids to Santa's Village. Yeah. So we actually... I did the um, nostalgia night at Storyland with my oldest daughter and her boyfriend and, and, and my wife. But um, we always sort of had a, a preference for Santa's yeah. Village over Storyland. I like them both, but I like Santa's Village a little bit better. Right. What was it like going there with... Um, with the with the kids when they're adults
0: fantastic
3: it's better than ever and this one was really emotional really special because they're retiring the rudy's roller coaster the rudolph roller coaster oh really last run so they've been on it their entire lives 15 years of riding that roller coaster and so this was the last time they were going to get to ride it so very special very emotional um but yeah, we still do all the stuff. We do the alphabets, you know. We we do all that. We do all of it, and it's just a real fun family day. You know, we always eat lunch at Nick's Emporium, Nick's Pizza Emporium. Um, yep. the, owner-
2: the cookie decorating—it's yeah. like you, you know—you you get the ring out of the nail. It's so yeah. fun.
3: Yeah. The owner of that pizza place is a real saint. I really like him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> stop. stop. Mark that one. Mark that one for your uh, your your backdrop there. <laughs> Yeah, gotcha. Oh, my God. Okay, so uh, not a lot of hiking for either one of us, but Keith did something fun, so that's great. Stop, notable listeners, notable hike of the week.
1: Yes, since we only uh, have been away from the microphones for a couple days, we have one, and it was submitted by the captain chris wright tracy morgan susan Blundell, and the teal goat they tackled the captain which is my favorite hike in the whites or should i say bushwhack so they they gave me the rundown they were at the summit of carragane and bushwhacked off the summit southwest towards the summit cone of uh the captain and the captain as some will know is just a uh a beautiful crag that is nestled between the Hancocks and Mount Carrigan and you can either approach it off the summit as they did or you can approach it from Sawyer River Road and you just go right to the end where it's gated and uh, jump out and hike in and from, from that approach from the road it's more or less a herd path and an old trail that was abandoned so they hit the captain, they came down, they found the uh, climbers camp that Jimmy Chiger and I pimped out with rocks and like fire pit and all that stuff and then they uh, made their way out through the strainer of Brooks. And uh, yeah, cool adventure. I guess they were up there for quite a while uh, as Captain Chris was digging through the uh, register book, looking <laughs> at all the names of people up there. And they were like, Chris, we got to get going, damn it. Let's go. Let's get moving. So congratulations, guys. That is a super cool hike. And uh, I, I can't wait to get back up there again sometime or another.
2: I thought I read in her uh, comments, did they find a helico- helicopter landing spot there? <laughs> you, it's. I don't know if it's officially. It's just an open
1: field. It's. A, it's an open field. It's definitely part of the snowmobile uh, circuit. So I'm not sure if it's part of the actual circuit itself, or if it is a heliport. It very well could be, or it could be a staging area for fires that could erupt in that area. Um, who knows? But yeah, that that port off of the fire road after the gate that you. Uh, Access um, leads right into the the trail that heads towards the base of the final bushwhack to the captain. But from that from that open view, you get a view of uh, Whiteface Pass, Conway, Pogus, and all these other peaks over there. And it's just actually a pretty nice nice vantage from that one little open field.
2: Great. Any other notable
1: hikes? No, that's it. So they're the winners. Nice. <laughs> congratulations. Yes,
0: congratulations. <laughs>
2: Captain Chris. Captain Chris. (laughs) All right, so. uh, Yeah, that's it. All right, so, Keith, this is your moment. This is your segment. Are you ready?
3: Yeah, yes, I am. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me back. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool.
2: So for the listeners, um, just as an introduction, so Keith Gentilly is an author. Uh, Stomp, I actually forgot to do the show intro, so we'll actually, I'll record that after, and then you can just splice that in so the listeners can get a little behind the scenes on how we actually fix mistakes around here Uh, but Keith (laughs) is the author of the White Mountain State Uh, it's a four year journey hiking and summiting New Hampshire's 48 highest peaks um, so Keith had joined us uh, probably like sometime in the uh, the 70s to talk about uh, the the book and we got to know him a little bit and he's graciously come back to talk a little bit more in a deep dive about Acadia National Park and some tips for hiking it and you know with a focus with the fall coming up um, so Keith is a former sports writer who uh, has launched a um, the the new Boston beacon I'll let him tell us a little bit about that uh, he's a three-time columnist of the year by the New Hampshire Press Association it's only it's three times you haven't won another one since we last talked no I have
3: not
2: okay All right. And uh, the New Hampshire Press Association named Keith a a serious columnist of the year in 2021 and also named the Beacon a distinguished newspaper. So um, he's an avid New Hampshire hiker and uh, he's got a lot of experience in Acadia. So um, what have you been up to, Keith, since we last spoke with you? Yeah. So
3: I joined you guys, I believe it was in December uh, of last year and the book had just come out and it was really the the first time I ever talked about it publicly. So One, thank you for taking a chance on me or kind of giving me an opportunity on the front end to talk about the book. Today, nine months later, I've been on a book tour. I've done over 20 events. We've sold over a thousand copies. I've got a pretty good uh, bank of reviews on Amazon. I think I've got 39 reviews on Amazon. And so between doing the book events and the book tour, which has included libraries, New Hampshire libraries, bookstores. I did Pinkham Notch, uh, Visitor Center, and, and some other unique events. It's really given me a chance to not only talk about the book, but talk to people who have either read it or looking forward to reading it, who have given it as a gift. Um, it's really been, it's been very rewarding and very, um, and interesting. You get to meet people who have either... Hyped the 48 or are thinking about the 48 they gifted the book to their father or their son and and I get to write these great inscriptions they ask me to write things you know could you said you know could you wish my son good luck could you tell him to be safe could you you know congratulate my dad on his 48 things like that and it really sucks and I've had people say very inspirational things back to me that I had a 94 year old gentleman uh, Thursday night in Wilton at the library in Wilton New Hampshire. He slept through part of the presentation. (laughs) But when it was over, he walked up to me, shook my hand and said, yeah, you made me remember things I never thought I would remember. You made me remember what it felt like to be on top of a mountain. And it really made me feel good. Um, And there's been a lot of those little experiences. Even at the AMC Awards dinner in the spring, I had a guy who had read my book and said it really changed the way he looked at the mountains took a picture of me with his daughter so there's been some really you know nice unique experiences like that
2: great yeah and it is a great book and I think that uh, anybody who is into hiking or they're thinking about getting into hiking should should check it out for sure I think that uh, I've got a big library and a big collection of books and um you know it gives a, a good perspective on New Hampshire hiking, 4,000 footers, and um, you know, we've had a great uh, great time getting to know you, Keith. Um, well, I guess to start off with in this segment, what I wanted to ask you is with the focus on New Hampshire to start with, as we go into the fall, Stomp and I have been like giving people advice on like cool stuff to do in New Hampshire. Some of it's been hiking related, some of it's been non hiking related. Uh, but from your perspective, do you have anything that's like non hiking related? Related that you would, you know, give people as a tip to check out in the fall? And then behind that, can you give your perspective on some some great fall hikes, maybe for like newer hikers?
3: Sure. So, you know, with a focus on the White Mountains, of course, some of the obvious things to do, um, they're cliches for a reason. So I still drive the kank, you know, make that drive. Just don't do it on a Saturday, you know, don't do it on Columbus Day weekend. Stay away from the traffic. But get out there and drive the kank. If you drive the kank, stop at Loon. Ride the chairlift up to the top of the Loon. Do that little yeah. walk. Go see the pond. Go do the caves. That little adventure they take you on on the top of Loon. It's great for families of all ages. Uh, if you've got kids, there's a snack bar up there. Get the kids some ice cream or some M&Ms. Um, same thing with, like, Bretton Woods. Go up to Brenton Woods. Ride that chairlift. Have lunch on top of the mountain. These are non-hiking things. Uh, the Cog Railway, of course, but also the North Conic north conway scenic railroad like these are things you don't need to be a hiker to do and you can really uh atitash has things you can do the zip line at wildcat there's so much up there that gets you outside uh and and you can really soak up fall i mean that's really what it's about get get, not just getting outside but getting out of your car you know there's all that driving you can do and i'm a big fan of it and my wife and i do this a lot We, we go for drives up in the white mountains just to see it um you know, it's an hour and a half to two hours for us. And then I would I would remind people if you are driving, try to get through all three notches. You know, Franconia Notch is the obvious one. You've got Cannon. You've got Lafayette and Lincoln. But you got to get through Crawford Notch. You know, go look at the Mount Washington Hotel. Take your photos. But you got to get to Pinkham Notch, too. And you got to you know, you got to drive all the way to Gorham. Maybe have lunch in Gorham. Go to Salt Pub or whatever your favorite place is up in Gorham. And, and when you make all those three, and I'll tell you, tack on Evan's notch if you're willing to go a little further east, you know, for folks who are really yeah. adventurous and want to see less people. Those would be the, the obvious thing. As a beer drinker, you know, hit the breweries, go to Littleton, go to Schilling, and have a beer on the river, or go to Bethlehem, go to Reckless, you know, and have a beer on the outside. That that garden area at Reckless is keeps getting better, and you guys know they built the tasting room out back. The menus, it's the best chicken sandwich in the state of New Hampshire, in my opinion. I've had a lot of chicken sandwiches. Um, and so there's the breweries. All those things are, are all worth it. And then as far as hiking, I would say, um, I mean, there's so much to offer here. But I think I would, i would, if you're going to make one fall foliage hike, I would say I would recommend maybe the Webster Cliffs. Um, you know, it's not a 48er. There's less people. But the view of Crawford Notch, both north and south, in the fall, and you've got the two walls with, the, with with 302 in between it, you're kind of like double dipping on foliage there. You're, you've got these two banks of orange and gold and reds. And then, you know, you can look down both the chute north and south. And so maybe go up. If if, if you can get up the Webster Cliff Trail, and I just say that, you know, everyone's hiking at a different, but yeah. I would go right up the Webster Cliff Trail. And if you need a 48er, continue on to, uh, continue on to Pierce. Um, or Jackson and Pierce. I mean, there's more you can do if you want to make a bigger hike out of it. Uh, that would be, that would be the, the, the hike that I would suggest um, just because once you get to that top of that cliff and you're hiking down the chute, you've got, you got the foliage forever. It feels like, um, you know, golds and reds and oranges in the, in the, in the, but this the notch is ablaze I just think it's a wonderful late September and I'd say late September into early October you know I'd say September 25th to October 15th something like that for um, for the whites and every year's different I realize there's plenty of places to track it but if you want to mark your calendars you know I would say food for thought something like that
2: yeah yeah and you know that point about Evans Notch and driving up or down uh, 113 in the foliage like I, I do try to do that every year and that is like an amazing drive and a lot of times like you you're not going to run into too many other cars so that is a good good tip from my perspective I think like that the Webster Cliffs is a good one I keep telling people um, for middle middle sugar sugar loaf and um, Pine Mountain are the two that's to me like because the thing I, li- I like about the the the, the lower elevations is just sort of, you feel like you're stuck in the middle of the foliage itself, even though you got those views a little bit. So, but those are all good, all good choices, I think. So, um, what's going on with the, uh, the new Boston. Yeah, Beacon?
3: So, uh, we're in our sixth year. Things are really good with the paper. Advertising is great. We're making money. Editorial content's never been better. Uh, the staff has been consistent and the paper continues to win awards, but more importantly, it continues to be the paper of record in the town of New Boston, our little town of 6,000 people here. i um, pleased to say that... Um, you know, they, they they have embraced the paper. They they contribute to the paper. The community engagement with the paper is at an all-time high. We've got, you know, contributions coming from the school system. The principal writes a column. We get contributions from the rec department, the library, the churches, the uh, historical society. So we've got content coming from all of the organizations in town, plus our staff. So we've got 24 pages a month, but we usually have about twenty different voices from our town, and these are residents, they're our neighbors, they're people contributing and you know, sharing and working to make the town a better, more informed place.
2: Excellent. And with the uh, presidential election coming up, I'm assuming that like the community gets even tighter around uh, all the excitement that builds up on that that activity. Yeah. Well,
3: it also divides, right? It also yes, it also true. forms sides, and it brings out the worst. And and that's what, we have local elections also bring out the worst in town as as folks you know pick sides. Um, one thing with the beacon and me being a former sports writer, I don't take a hard stance. We don't take a stance on. Politics. We don't write editorials about politics. We don't endorse candidates locally or nationally. We have, uh, we made, when we launched the paper, when I launched the paper six years ago, made the decision to just serve our readers and not any agendas or sides. And we're not trying to, um, we're not trying to change anybody. We're just trying to uh, serve them in a way that informs them about their community. Interesting people doing interesting things.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, I, it's, it would be nice to see more media do that, so that's a, I think that's probably a, a great approach for you, and I still see that you have a little bit of hair left, so it must be yeah, working.
3: right, right. <laughs> Although the lighting tonight makes it look a little gray, but yes, yes yeah
2: exactly so Keith we're gonna talk about Acadia um, National Park here so you are the expert here uh, I have, I've only gone like I think I went like one time maybe like 15 20 years ago so we're gonna rely on you but before we get into sort of your perspective on it I wanted to just go over a little bit of history on uh, Acadia National Park and if you have any insight I, I don't know how much of a historian you are about it or not but if you have any insight jump in uh, but for the listeners stomp I, I did a little bit of research here and you you can jump into if you any anything to add but okay. uh, just to start off with the name origin so acadia is a is a girl's name meaning idyllic place um and the the geography name on this this was originally acadia was referenced for a, a region of north america that's a story historically associated with um the culture and region of the Maritimes in uh canada uh and, you know, it also cuts, so basically it's New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, the uh, Magdalen Islands, Prince Edward Islands, as well as uh, the parts of Maine. So originally Acadia National Park was named Lafayette National Park when it was established on July 8th. 1916. It was named after in honor of Marquise de Lafayette, a French military officer and hero of the American Revolutionary War who played a significant role in supporting the American colonies in their fight for independence from Britain. Um, However, in 1919, the park's name was changed to Acadia National Park to reflect the region's historical ties to the French colony of Acadia, which once encompassed parts of what is now Eastern Canada and the Northeast United States, including Maine. So this name change was made to emphasize the area's French heritage and its cultural and historical significance. The park covers a beautiful and diverse landscape, including rugged coastline, mountains, forests, and lakes, making it a popular destination for outdoor enthusiasts and nature lovers. Um, the name Acadia again reflects both its historical heritage and the national beauty of uh, the natural beauty of the region. Um, interesting story. There's always sort of the, the people that the The founders of these parks, and the founder of this park is a gentleman by the name of George Dorr, um, and George was a uh, he was a gentleman that was born in the mid eighteen hundreds. He lived into the nineteen forties, so he's known as the father of Acadia National Park. Spent most of his adult life bringing the park into into being and caring for the park and working with people to acquire the land. Um, George Doerr was a private citizen uh, who was the son of affluent Bostonians. So as much as we like to pick on mass holes, uh, they do do good work and they're responsible for some of the the lands that we love. So he inherited fortunes from both his parents um, and he was widely traveled in Europe. Uh, He was a gentleman scholar, Harvard University graduate, lover of nature, who first visited uh, Mount Desert Island, which is the biggest piece of Acadian national park in 1868 on a vacation and he said this is where i'm gonna settle so purchased a family residence called old farm and compass harbor in bahaba and um, which is now part of the acadian national park he never married he focused all his time and energy on preserving the natural beauty of his beloved island uh, he spent about 40 years working to acquire tracts of land to protect and build trails and lay plans uh, to, uh, to expand the park. So he donated a lot of the land, um, and he actually went uh, broke purchasing all this land and doing this work. So he, he faced a lot of challenges, and he even had some issues with the Maine state legislature um, who were working to revoke the nonprofit status of the the, uh, the land trust that he had established. So um, he had to basically run up to Maine, um, spend a lot of time lobbying to make them change their mind around revoking the trust, and um, so he, he basically realized that at the state level there was a threat. To what they were looking to do with Acadia, so he went to the federal government and began lobbying to uh, to get it designated as a national park he didn 't get it designated as a national park, but they did make it a national monument, and then eventually that set it up to become a national park so it's interesting stomp around how Acadia was threatened at the state level, but then you look at Baxter State Park, which is a you know very sort of an independent state f- preservation. So it's, it's just very weird at the timing on how like one sort of one gem in Maine was protected by the state and then another was threatened and w- they had to go to the federal government to protect it. So just yeah. an interesting, interesting dynamic on how that plays out. Mm -hmm. Um, but later in life, George Doerr, he worked with, um, John D. Rockefeller to assist in acquiring all that land. So, uh, when Mr. Rockefeller was not busy, um, you know, with the new world order and the Illuminati, he was building land, um, or he was acquiring land in Acadia with, with Mr. Doerr. So, um, a lot of, a lot of good stuff that both of these men did stop interesting history yeah yeah it is so um there is a monument at the base of door mountain uh in memory of Mr Door and he uh lived quite a life and he loved that land quite a lot and you know now it's it's the the home of you know thousands and thousands of visitors a year mm mm-hmm. mhm so pretty good. You didn't like my joke about John Rockefeller and the Illuminati? <laughs> I
1: got it. I got
2: it. Okay. <laughs> All right.
1: You, All right. So that's me to that's add a the bit history. in there
2: or what? Yeah, yeah. You're gonna have to add that. So. <laughs> um, but that's the history. It's an interesting place. Um, Keith, why don't you give your background about Acadia to talk to Tell us a little bit about how you started going there and, you know, your experience there. Yeah,
3: so, uh, and I talk a little bit about this in my book, in the in the, the orientation and in the uh, beginning of my book. I talk a little bit about being in college and going to Shenandoah National Park in 1990 on spring break. It was a big deal to go. Uh, You know, to be whatever I was in my early 20s and get in a car with a bunch of buddies and drive, you know, uh, eight or 10 hours to Shenandoah National Park and do some hiking and, and really experience a national park for the first time. It was such a great thrill the following spring break, we went to Great Smoky Mountain National Park. We were willing to go farther and hike a bigger mountain. We hiked Mount LeConte. And I tell that story in the book because it really was a game changer for me. And it gave me this love affair of national parks. And the, my instinct was, there's got to be one closer up in New England. And I found Acadia in the early 1990s and got up to Acadia. It's funny you mentioned Naples, Maine tonight. So I was living in Naples, Maine for a summer working on Tobago Lake, actually working on Lawn Lake. Um, close mm-hmm. to Tobago Lake. I worked in a little restaurant called Sandy's Flight Deck Restaurant.
2: Oh, I know it well. They, I know had it well. they had
3: an airplane out
2: there. Oh yeah, they still do. They still got this the airplane. Still there, there. So it's
3: been a little while. Yeah. Um, yep. And that summer, uh, we got over to Acadia, and we... Drove to the top of Cadillac Mountain to see the sunrise for the first place, you know, uh, in in the first place in the continental United States as we were, you know, come to believe that that's what happened at the top of Cadillac Mountain. And uh, so it's been about a 30-year relationship uh, for me in Acadia going up there. But what's happened more recently, I got married in 98. My wife and I had children, started taking the kids up there, Um, wasn't doing a lot of hiking Uh, with the young children but we were getting up there regularly and that led to uh once a year an annual trip to acadia national park and then in like the last 10 years as my wife's love for the ocean um continued to develop and my love of the mountains continued to develop and evolve Well, Acadia began to be this one place where the mountains meet the sea. That's one of their catchphrases. The Chamber of Commerce loves that, where the mountains meet the sea. And so for my marriage, uh, my wife gets the the ocean and the smell of salt in the air and the lobster rolls and the fried clams and the sand of Sand Beach. And I get the mountains. They may not be 4,000 feet. In fact, they're not even 2,000 feet. But we get mountains, we get the ocean. It's a really special place. And as my kids have gotten older, we started to go two times a year. Last year, we went three times. And I've been slowly checking off more and more hikes. And I would say right now, you know, I, I do, I, I, have this goal of redlining Acadia National Park. Um, but there's a lot of trails. And so I'm about a third of the way there, maybe pushing 40%. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So for folks who are hiking in the whites or hiking in Maine, The the bigger mountains. What Acadia gives you is much shorter trails and much less elevation. So if you hike all day in Acadia, you can really wipe out some trails. And we'll get into that as we go on tonight. We'll talk some about the Mm trails specifically, but the trails are short. There's a lot of there's a lot of street crossings. You know, you might only have a five miles, you know, trail where you're not going to cross a road. you can certainly stretch it out, but I'm saying there's a lot of opportunities to, to, to really uh, check off a lot of trails, check off a lot of mountains and see a lot up there. And so as I've done that hiking with my daughter, hiking with my wife and hiking solo, um, I've just fallen in love with it over time because it just works for me. My wife's happy to be up at the ocean. My kids are happy there and I'm getting in some mountains and some summits. And, uh, the views are unlike anything you get in the whites. It's, I'm not saying better or worse. I'm just saying different. And and that's what it's about. These different experiences, hiking and seeing ships, hiking and seeing sailboats, hiking and seeing, you know, porpoises and seals. It's just a different world, but you're still hiking and climbing mountains and going over rock um, and navigating, you know, navigating some really cool stuff. So that's really my background. So, What was once a, you know, uh, every couple of years visit for sunrise on Cadillac turned into, well, once a year that turned into twice a year. And now I'm up to three times a year and really trying to hike some miles while I'm up there.
2: Got it. And where do you typically stay? Are you um, staying at hotels when you go up there? What do you recommend? That's a
3: good question. So this is part of like really getting into it. So there's two campgrounds in the National Park themselves. And I went through my phase of staying in both campgrounds. Uh, One is Blackwoods Campground on the east side and one is Seawall Campground on the west side. The Skutik Peninsula, which is the third component of Acadia National Park, Also has a campground called Scudic Woods, and so I would stay in the park because that's what it was. That was my thing for a long time, but then I found Mount Desert Island Campground, which is at the top of the Sound, some Sound, and and I've been staying there lately because um, I've just kind of learned the game. On January twelfth every year, you can get your reservations, and on the day that it opens, and you can get waterfront sites and you can go paddling so i also like paddling and you can paddle with the seals and the eagles and the porpoises and the jellyfish and you can add these other components so i've been staying there lately um i also have a friend who i went to high school with who owns a couple of airbnbs on the north north of acadia millbridge and gouldsboro and i've stayed in our airbnbs a couple of times in the off season like november we were up there in november last year um and it's given me access to like Winter Harbor, which gets you over to Skudik, um, the scudic Peninsula, and so I've got a couple different things in play. But my of all the places I like to stay, it's it's a private campground called Mount Desert Island uh, Campground.
2: And the camping is it to, to like to traditional what we would think of as car camping? Yeah,
3: yeah, there are some walk to sites, but yes, traditional car camping. And what I'll, what I'll say, guys, about about Acadia is for your listeners. Um, not to say that there's, you know, uh, challenges with the idea of, of Acadia, but a lot of folks don't know. And so I, what I'd like to at least say is, you know, there's Mount Desert Island, which is the entire island. There's Acadia National Park. There's uh, Bar Harbor, of course, is, a, is another piece. Um, there's all, and there's the Southwest Harbor. There's the East Side, the West Side. There's the Scudic Peninsula. So there's a lot of different pieces in place. It's a very unique park it's a very unique location you don't just enter the park in fact some of the trips you don't that i go up there i don't even ever enter the park you know there's so many different places um you know i lived on nantucket for a couple of years and nantucket is described as a pork chop it looks like a pork chop but i tell people mount desert island looks like a butt if you sat down in the snow that's what mount desert island looks like it looks just like an imprint of a butt And the only way to get there is really through Ellsworth, Maine. So some people think of Ellsworth. And so what I'll tell people, and I'll tell your listeners, is I live down near Manchester, New Hampshire. I live in New Boston. It's a a four-and-a-half-hour drive for me to get to Acadia, and I go through Bangor. I didn't used to. I used to take Route 1 up the coast, but that would take like five-and-a-half hours. So now I go through Bangor, and it's a a four-and-a-half-hour drive, and um, you go right through Ellsworth. You go over the bridge, and when you're on that island— You know, Mount Desert Island, its entirety is really big. Bar Harbor is really small. Uh, Acadia National Park can be seen as really big or small, depending on your, you know, depending on your perspective, where you're coming from. If you're comparing it to, you know, a park in the West, you know, you're going to Yosemite. You know, Acadia is tiny, okay? Acadia is Rhode Island to California um, in this context. So there's all these little pieces, and you can make a vacation out of the east side of the island, or the west side of the island, or the Scudic Peninsula. There's all these different places. Now you can also do all three in one weekend if you, you know, if you get after it. If you, if you don't, you know, sleep in. If you, if you, you know, you don't want to hang out at your campsite. You know, you, there really is a lot of opportunity. And and it, I don't want to underrate how great of a place it is for paddlers. If you sea kayak, if you canoe, if you kayak, freshwater and saltwater. That's another piece of the Acadia experience. There's two beaches. If you like to swim, you can swim at Sand Beach, which is the ocean, or you can go over to the southwest harbor side. You can go over to the um, west side, and you can go to Echo Lake Beach, which is a lake, and swim in freshwater. There's only two places you can swim in Acadia National Park, one fresh, one salt, but they're both great options. Um, So it gives you an idea that there's there's a lot to chase.
2: Yeah, with the paddling, uh, do you do you bring your own kayaks, or are you able to rent pretty easily? So
3: I always bring my own canoe. We're a canoe family. My wife and I like to paddle together, or me and the kids. Uh, But you can rent all over the place. Yes, the campgrounds, the private campgrounds have rentals. There's rental agencies. You'll see them all over the place. It's very popular because. Because the water is just—it's just so beautiful out there. It's and 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 the and the animal, the nature, life, the wildlife is there for you know. And and there's of course tourism. There's boat rides you can take out of Bar Harbor as another option. But you have all these little pieces. And then I'll also say you know, like we talked about, like things to do in the White Mountains that don't involve hiking. There's plenty to do in the park that don't involve hiking. There's the Jordan the Jordanham um, Pond House where you can go. and and see this historic place and eat popovers with strawberry jam and have this wonderful experience it's not cheap there's a lot of people but it's a very unique experience and there's other things like that throughout the park that you can do uh there's the seawall area where you can nature walk there's a bunch of nature walks you know one mile loop called wonderland a one mile loop called uh ship harbor there's these little nature walk trails that are really just special, uh, and each area has them. So you'll see people out there walking. And another unique thing about Acadia is, is, you know, for families, if you're thinking about taking your kids, make sure you play the license plate game with your children, because you will leave Acadia somewhere in the 40s on the number of states you will see. It's incredible. People, come, especially in the summer, people come from all over the country to Acadia, and you know it's such a destination. So, and the other thing is, I always encourage folks to consider buying the national park pass for eighty dollars. You know, you, you you can go to all the national parks. You know, it's an annual pass, but of course, you can buy a three day pass, a one week pass. That's up to you. But I always encourage folks that the the, the real steal is the eighty dollar national park pass. And I and I read recently they might change that. That might change going forward. You're headed to Yosemite. You might you might hear yep. something about it. Um, but those are some of the things I always tell folks, you know, try and experience those. There's an area of the park that I call Main Street. It's on the east on the east side where you're okay. guaranteed to see traffic. You're guaranteed to sit and, and you know, a line of cars. But, but it's because it's so special and so beautiful. And, so,
2: and that's also probably because a lot of people are coming from Bar Harbor into the into the park from that direction. Yeah, right?
3: and the Park Loop Road only goes in that one direction, so they line yeah. up in front of Sand Beach. But that's somewhere the you know that's where the Beehive Hike is. So you know, and for for hikers, that Beehive Hike is a you know it's a one mile, very unique hike. Um, for more experienced hikers, a little bit further down the road or, or, or closer to the gate is the Precipice Hike which is another one-mile hike up that is just, you know, with the metal rungs and the ladders, that's the beehive on steroids, and it's really the kind of hike anyone who, who really likes to get after, say, hey, the, the terrifying 25 folks, precipices for you. One of the challenges, the, uh, oh, those peregrine falcons, those mating falcons, they get that trails closed all the time. I was chasing that trail for about five years, and it was finally open uh, one year and my daughter and I did it and I was thrilled to be able to check off the precipice trail um, and so those are two that I always I always start with you know well where, where should I hike well if you like vertical gain and you like metal rungs and ladders the beehive and the precipice but they're in Main Street or they're on Main Street so you're gonna see people um, and then another hike I always I always recommend is it's great head and it's right from sand Beach it's about a two mile loop. But it's just all open ocean and cliffs, and you just have these views of, you know, ships and sailboats and the harbor and the open ocean and the porcupine islands, and it's just breathtaking to be hiking in those type of settings. And the one cool thing about Great Head is you you first hike across Sand Beach, so literally people, you know, if it's summer, you know, laying out in in their bathing suits getting sun, and you're going by in your hiking gear to go hike Great Head. So to me, those are some of the, the the high profile hikes on the east side of the island. Now they're not my favorites, or their best, or what I would call gotta dos, but they are signature hikes for Acadia National Park on the east side.
2: And what do you typically find with the uh, the trailhead and parking situation? I know you talked a little bit about the permit and, and you know getting the national park. Uh, signing up for that but can you talk a little bit about just generally parking and trailheads like is it one of the uh, i i recall having to go to like cadillac mountain like kind of early because we were concerned about not getting parking and again this is before i knew anything about hiking so this is like was way back
3: so in, in terms of cadillac there's been a change recently where you've got to get a permit pass for cadillac now that's a that's been a recent change but for parking in the park the park loop road is one directional two lanes and you can park in one lane and so the trailheads are marked really nice with these um, almost like, you know, uh, wooden posts with, you know, with all of your uh, mileage and trail names on the wooden posts. So the, the trailheads are marked nicely. Parking, parking is not really a problem because although the park is crowded, it's not crowded with hikers per se, except along what I called Main Street. And Main Street and those hikes is just one small part. The folks listening to this show, I would suggest... You know, like the like hiking Cadillac is really fascinating because you have the North Ridge and the South Ridge. That's the type of hike I would suggest people do. Yes, you get up to the top of Cadillac and it's like being at the top of Mount Washington. You can go into the you can go into the gift shop with your backpack on and get a cookie witch and a Gatorade and you have the tourists looking at you like, you know, you're a weirdo and that's fun. My daughter and I got a kick out of that. My daughter had her pack bump into a woman picking out postcards, and the lady was a little rude or unhappy with my daughter. And I said, honey, you're having a real hiker experience. You're sweating, and we smell, and you're bumping into people with your pack, and you're eating a cookie (laughs) witch.
2: Nice. That's great, and um, can you talk a little bit about uh, Bar Harbor itself? Do you ever spend any time in there? I know it's a bit expensive, and you know there are a lot of hotel options there where people will stay. Uh, but do you have any advice for people that want to check out Bar Harbor? Yeah, I do.
3: I, you know, my my suggestion on Bar Harbor is it's a small little village. It's a walking village. It's tremendously beautiful. And there is a little hike you can do from the center of Bar Harbor. You can go out onto Bar Island at low tide. The, the You know, the the, the the sandbar, you can walk out. So you can make this one-mile loop. There's a high point on the island. It's gorgeous, and it's special. And you can look back over at Bar Harbor and see the masses and the retail district. I would suggest, you know, if you like going out to dinner, go out to dinner in Bar Harbor. If you like going out for breakfast, Go out, you know, go out for breakfast. There's, you know, there's all, you know, the farmer's market is there. There's always street fairs and vending and you know, there's so much going on. Yes, there's a lot of people. Parking's not too bad down there. And for guys like Stomp and I who are cat lovers, my favorite place is this bed and breakfast and called Two Cats. And it's famous and the menu's incredible and it's a real destination. And we try and have brunch or breakfast at Two Cats every year when we go there Uh, And the sign has these two dancing cats on it. But I mean, really, if you're a foodie, you know, the island in its entirety, you can go into Bar Harbor and have that four star, five star, you know, hundred dollar meal. Or you can find that lobster shack, you know, out by seawall, go to Charlotte's lobster shack right by seawall. And you have this really unique experience. where where you just feel like you've gone back in time it's like 1955 you know the way the place is lit and the way it just looks and you know there's a there's a sign heavy hoof traffic because the deer are always walking in the street and it's really really unique and and that that's a piece of the southwest harbor that I always tell folks don't don't sleep on the southwest harbor make sure you make a drive loop the southwest harbor go see seawall and see wonderland and and do a little bit of hiking over there and driving and it's just again, it's 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 that postcard. A lot of times you see postcards, Mount Desert Island, Acadia National Park, the postcards will come from the Southwest Harbor, they'll come from that side. There's just a lot of those little spots that are so photogenic. And and you also have mixed in residents, people who are getting up and going to work every day. Unlike, you know, Bar Harbor is so heavily touristed. And then in between, of course, is the park. And there's just so much bang for the buck in between, especially with hiking. You know, on the east side, I tell people, and you mentioned Door, um, the founder, Door Mountain is one of the better hikes. You know, there's these, these mountains have a north ridge and a south ridge. So like Cadillac, Champlain Mountain, Gorham Mountain, you hike the north side to the summit and the south side out. These are kind of like spot a car or have your wife pick you up, you know, unless but they're only five or six miles. You can always turn around and hike back 12 miles. Yeah. You know, and you can do a full day hike out of them. But these hikes, when you get up on that ridge, you're just looking at ocean and the landscape. You know, the the the, the wildlife, the, the, the birds and the nature, um, the greenery, everything's a little different because of the ocean and the salt. So things that we're used to hiking, you know, uh, amongst in the White Mountains... It's a completely different, you know, vegetation. It's just a different world, um, and it's just so majestic, you know. Especially on a bluebird day, you get a bluebird day. You know, you've got the ocean, the sky, the mountains, um, and there's some gorges too. Like if you loop, if you loop Door Mountain, you can you, you can you can do it like as a um, a loop hike or a lollipop hike, and you can go through the gorge path on the way back. And now, instead of being at the top, looking at the ocean, you're at the bottom of a gorge, you know, and it's mosquito-filled and rocks and water and dank and damp. Very popular um, for for the few hikers that are up there to do a loop like that. So when we talk about these mountains, we're talking about 1,500 feet, 1,200 feet, you know, so the vertical gain, you know, isn't that huge.
2: But you're still starting from zero. So it's, 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 you don't want to underestimate them either, it sounds like. But so for the listeners, I'm like looking at the map as, as, as Keith is talking and I'm like scheming my trip right now. So it looks like just from what I'm hearing, You know, and I know my wife. You know, she's going to want to be hoity-toity and stay somewhere near Bar Harbor. So it sounds like a day one trip for me is going to be like poking around. Exactly what you just talked about is like Door Mountain. Maybe come in from the you know the east side and then go over to Cadillac Mountain from that way and then hike back down. (laughs) But what you're saying is like sort of you got that center section, which is you know Bar Harbor is on the northeast section of it, and then you got Bald Peak in the the other side. Uh, But then you're saying don't sleep on. This south, so it's kind of broken up on Mount Desert Island, but there's this southeast section that has it looks like um, Bald Mountain, Bernard Mountain um, in that area there. So you're saying definitely spend a day checking that southwest section out uh, as yeah,
3: well. Yeah, so again, using the uh, the imprint of the bot, you know, the less, you know, the other side, the west side, um, Echo Lake is a real destination. There's these okay. the beach cliffs. You can hike up to the top of Beach Cliffs or Beach Mountain. That area is beautiful. And Echo Lake brings more water into it. And then across the street is Acadia Mountain, Flying Mountain. Um, all of those trails are really cool and really special. Um, just because they're, you know, you're 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 in an area where there's so fewer people, so much less traffic, but you're you're still in a national park. And you still get those ocean views and those harbor views. Um, And so if you're looking at the map, so just to the west uh, of some sound, you'll see Echo Lake and Long Pond. And down at the bottom, you'll see Bass Harbor and you'll see Seawall, the Wonderland Trail. Those are all really great places to visit. And that Southwest Harbor is like a mini Bar Harbor. There's restaurants there. There's inns there. You know, so if you've got you know, if you've got a family that doesn't like crowds, that doesn't like people, you can stay in the Southwest Harbor instead of Bar Harbor uh, and still have that, that what they call that down east experience, right? That that main coast where the mountains meet the sea, uh, hospitality, uh, bed and breakfast in type experience without the crowds. As far as prices, it might be a little cheaper on, you know, in the, on the Southwest side than of course Bar Harbor um, just because of supply and demand, um, but you but but you can do it all in you know in a couple of days.
2: What's the vibe at the campgrounds? Is it um, is it pretty much like you're just staying there, laying your head down, or is there a sort of a community feeling at some of these campgrounds? A
3: little bit of both, you know. And, and what's really unique about campgrounds uh, on Mount Desert Island is somewhere around three o'clock in the morning, you start hearing cars turn on because they're going they're driving up Cadillac to see sunrise and we did that every year for a long time and uh, everyone in my family went through a phase where it had to do it and there was a while where i had to do it you know we're going you're you're waking up we're doing this and then after a while i'm like i'm not doing it and my wife said we're doing this you brought us to the island we're doing this and then my kids took the took the mantle
1: that's classic Mom,
3: dad we're doing this my oldest daughter julia still this year wanted to do it i'm like i'm not doing it honey we were there for Our first trip was Memorial Day weekend, and she wanted to do it. I'm like, I... Julia, I don't have it in me. I had a, I had a hard week. Your father, your father's been grinding.
2: I drank too many treehouse yeah. brews. So, um, well, let me ask you this, like, because I, I, you know, I would assume that the, the more you've gone there, you've figured out, like, is there a bypass to Cadillac? Like, is there some place where you can climb, like, maybe only like three hundred feet and get the awesome view instead of having to go up there? No,
3: well, you wouldn't get that first sunrise, right? You wouldn't get. The, you know, that's the juice is worth the squeeze. So you, you've got to get the permit now. I think it's forty eight hour in advance. You can buy the permit and we did do it two years ago we did it last year once so we still do it a little bit and it is special um, except you know not every sunrise is created equal there you, know, you get some foggy hazy morning You got me up at 3 a.m i can't even see the sun this is blowing up i, I want to go back to bed but um no i would say you know if, if you're going to get up for sunrise i would get the permit and still because once you have the permit you've got the parking spot reserved and it's really special up there. And, you know, uh, Cadillac's got a little uh, moose lock in it. It's a big, round, bulbous mountain. You can find space for you and your family. You bring a blanket. You bring your coffee and some bagels or something. You can find space to call your own. And when that sunrise comes up over the Porcupine Islands and it's shining, and it really is, you know, it is it is, it is worth all of the, especially for folks who don't go up there that often. If you're only going to make one trip, I would, I would try and make it part of your trip part of part of the adventure
2: Got it. Now, the uh, so for the listeners, when you look at the map here, you can see sort of the main um, section of the park, which is, like you said, it's like somebody sitting their butt down in the snow. Way over to the right is the um, um, Scudic Woods. So you have to actually leave Mount Desert Island and drive across, it looks like, Route 1 from Ellsworth. You have to kind of reconnect to Ellsworth, almost to Ellsworth, and then come over Route 1 and hit Winter Harbor. So can you talk a little bit about that area? Is Is that where? Worth looking at for your first or second trip, or is that something where you you, you want to you want to consider after you've gone a few yeah, times? Yeah,
3: so you know, again, depending on your level of like um, adventure or crowds. Like, if you like if you like remoteness, driving out to Scudic Point, you know, is one of those remote places. You know, where the waves are crashing, and you're you know you're in a national park, and there's not too many folks around, and there's a couple of couple of hikes out there. There's a little hike up to an area called the Anvil. Uh, we did Lower Harbor Hike in November, my wife and I, and you don't see anybody. I mean, there's nobody out there, off-season especially. Like, if you go up there now in the fall, you'll see nobody at Scootic and it's really cool. Uh, but it is north. So, like, if you're coming from the Boston area or even if you're coming from, like, the Portsmouth or the Seacoast, you know, so you're going further from home. When you If you leave Mount Desert Island, get back out through Ellsworth and go north, you know, to Winter Harbor. But even Winter Harbor is really special and unique. And you see the work in lobster, man. You see these, you know, like anyone who, ha- who who gets a kick out of those like harbor photos with all the little boats and the dinghies, you know, all kind of pushed together with the light on them, the golden hour light shining on the red or the, the greens of these little dinghy, wooden dinghies in a harbor. That's winter harbor. Like that's what you'll see in the buoys and the lobster boats and the fishermen. I mean, that's down east coastal, rocky Maine. I mean, that's a... So I like scooting. But it's, I would say not your first time, and it's not for everybody, especially if you like touristy stuff, which, you know, it's, again, that, that's all good stuff, I, you know, that's for the folks who like the remote stuff to go up there.
2: Yeah. Got it. Stomp, what do you think? You going to go?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd love to go. It's a bit of a hike, but uh, definitely sounds like it's worth it.
3: The other thing Absolutely. I'll say is if you're a mountain biker or a biker at all, you know, like, like, the, so so there's a whole network we haven't even touched on this there's a whole network of carriage roads so oh yes and the carriage road and there's books on this you can bike the carriage roads and you don't need a gnarly mountain bike if you have a hybrid or any kind of bike you know it's it's you know it's nit pack it's like bluestone and they're and they're really nice the carriage roads for bike cyclists are so fantastic my wife and i have done it a few times one year we actually took a carriage ride with the horse in the carriage, on the carriage roads when our kids were young. That was cool. And so there's, I think there's 45 miles of carriage roads, if I remember right. And so it's a whole nother option. So you can paddle, you can hike, and you can bike, and you can do it all in the same weekend. Sometimes we'll bike one day and we'll hike one day, or we'll paddle one day and we'll hike one day. My youngest daughter, who's now at UVM, is always pushing me all right, dad, what are we going to do today? Which one are we going to do? You know? And so it helps me, you know, like, all right, well, why don't we paddle today? Um, so I think all of those little pieces really, and you, and there's the tourist day, you know, you go to the Jordan Pond house, have a fancy lunch with the green overlooking the pond and you can hike around Jordan Pond. And there's these two cool things called the bubbles, uh, behind Jordan Pond, these little unique mountains and people, you know, very, you, you see photos of them. It's another postcard place. Um, so there's all these little pieces to Acadia uh, that make it unique, and, and another one is for the like the geology folks. Acadia National Park is considered a, a ford, F J O R D. It has a ford based on vertical drop and cliffs and rocks into the water. I have read that it might be a, and I'm going to say this wrong, but a fard, F J A R D, because it might not have a, it might not have enough vertical drop or cliff... I don't even know frontage, you know, to match the Scandinavian ones. So it might actually be a Fard and not a Ford, but I I just find all that stuff fascinating. and, And I'm only dipping my toes into that piece of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it makes sense because if you look at a map, like if you zoom out on a map and you look at sort of like that northern peninsula and the Maritimes, like you can pretty much imagine how that section broke off. The You know, Greenland went north. Yeah. Iceland sort of stuck there. And then like the, you know, the, the Scandinavian country sort of stayed in Europe. And, the, the you know, the, the, the continents just sort of separated. So it's probably has similar land features.
3: And I'll tell you, you know, like, for, for simple New Hampshire folks like my family, when we're camping up there and we watch the tide come in and out of some sound, so we always try and get water for camping at this campground. And, and, and we were just there. We were there for Labor Day weekend, so it's all fresh for me. Watching the tide come in and out and, and seeing the, the, the life, the, the bird life. If you love birds, if you're a bird watcher, so if you're a paddler, a, a cyclist, a hiker, or if you're a bird watcher, it's a really unique place we watch the cranes you know eating fish watching them trap fish in the low tides right in front of us watching uh you know the action with eagles we've seen eagles pull fish out of seagulls mouth in the air really cool stuff for you know it's a whole lot better than feeding gray jays granola bars up on mount willie you know what i mean like it's a true very different experience with with birds up in acadia
2: yeah now what do you what's your average duration are you mostly doing this on weekend trips or do you go for longer no
3: just weekends always try and do like long weekends so like this year we did memorial day we did labor day so we get the extra day so um so you know we'll drive up on friday drive home on monday uh and that's enough you know that's enough uh because we're, we're we're still tent camping you know my wife and i and so three nights in a tent's enough you know you know showering in the campground shower for putting the quarters in you know a couple of days is enough and i don't want to ask her to do more i sometimes i'm yeah. fortunate that she's still like and my kids same way you know that, that they'll still do that um and so the money we save on you know it's like a 100 bucks a night for the campground versus 300 for an inn or whatever you, hotel. Mm-hmm. you know let's just spend a little bit more money on food so we 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 eat out you know, maybe one meal a day, you know, and have one meal a day at the campground, you know, like we'll go out for a nice restaurant or a nice lunch, depending on that day's activities. Because, and, 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 it, and more, more and more of us, especially hikers, we're foodies. We're just foodies on a different level. We're not fancy foodies. Yeah. But my, my wife had four different lobster rolls in four days. And that's part of the fun, you know, chasing lobster rolls. I was chasing fried clams, you know, who's got the best fried clams? Who's got the best lobster rolls? things like that. And it's just, uh, you know, it's all part of the adventure because there's so much to do. You can't do it all, but you check it off and we'll be back next year. We'll be, we'll be back in November. We'll, we'll go we'll a third time and we'll go somewhere else. Cause a lot of the places will be closed and you get those, you get those off season places. So,
2: yeah. What's it like in winter? Have you been there in like the dead of winter, like in January, February, or is no, it not worth going up there? No,
3: I haven't been. I haven't been then. I, uh, November is the latest. I've been there. Um, Okay. But you know, it's I can, I can it's windy. That's for sure, like any you know, any anything on the coast. Windy and cold and you I you know, but I get the thrill out of the rough seas, right? That's that's really fun to watch, you know, the waves crashing, you know, you're hiking and waves are crashing. It's so cool. It's so cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. It's too bad that Game of Thrones decided to film in Europe because they could have used I right. definitely could have used that uh, you know, Acadia as a set piece for sure
3: other things i'll mention for listeners oh, too is there's a whole transit network you can ride buses everywhere you know there's buses they stop everywhere on the island southwest harbor bar harbor all through the park uh and then i'll say like there are a couple of touristy things that you shouldn't that i would that i would stay away from like there's an area called thunder hole where the water comes in and it hits this like hole and it you know it creates like a fountain you know uh, effect like a big the water blows up and the noise and you know, there's a couple of things like that, that that I you know eh you know it's good for the tourists but for hikers and folks like us who want to go out and get after it those things you can avoid
2: yeah yeah well this is great i'm i'm excited i hope the listeners are inspired and you know i got to get out there it's just i've been, i've been i've been talking 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 i got to start walking and get out there yeah
3: yeah and you know you never know the way your wife or your kids or your family or, or, or you know whoever you go with you never know with how they're going to react I got lucky. My family took to it. So it, it, it paid off for me. Um, you know, they don't necessarily love camping at Lafayette Place, you know, in Franconia Notch because you're hearing in the cars drive through. They don't mind it, but they really love Acadian. So for me, I've been able to do that more and more.
2: No, oh, that's great. So just before we move on to search and rescue stuff, any questions for your, uh, for Keith? No, I do not for once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm shocked! You covered everything, Keith.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm really fascinated by the place. So, just the mix of uh, you know the fresh water, the the salty ocean, and the the cliffs. I mean, it just sounds awesome. Good. I wish it was a little yeah. closer. To be honest with you, though.
3: Yes. Yeah, and you know, like driving home on a, on a, on a holiday weekend, you know, you know what happens at the like oh. Hampton tolls on a Monday. A I holiday can imagine. Weekend. So there yeah. is, you know, all of those things are in play. So uh, yeah, yeah, got to keep that in mind.
2: Excellent, all right, stop. So we had uh, so I'm going out to Yosemite, so I'm gonna be kind of gone for a little while. We were gonna go through my trip itinerary and my gear list, but why don't we skip that? We'll do that on, on when I come back. I'll be able to give a full rundown on it and then um, we can move on to the search and rescue news. How's that sound?
1: Sure, but I do have one simple request while you're out there. Sure. I want you to scale the first 10 feet of Half Dome so you can say that you free-soloed it. Can you do that for me and have somebody take a you? picture?
2: Oh, so get like to the bottom get of it the and bottom, then try to climb? Just 10 feet. <laughs> All right. I don't know if I'll be close enough to the the actual valley. I don't know. I, that'll be interesting to see if I actually come right down <laughs> up, to, up against the wall and on.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, well, if you do, make sure you free solo yeah. it
2: for me. Just a couple I'll, feet. I'll just, I'm <laughs> going to find a random rock wall and just tell you that it was half done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> should be fun. So, looking forward to it. So, like, like I said, I'm, I'm going to be hiking out in Yosemite. I think I'm out there for four or five nights, and um, I'll give a full rundown of that trip for people. Uh, so, it should be pretty fun. I'll get into my gear list when I get back. I will tell you my base weight's around 13 pounds. Wow. So, I'm. I'm pretty happy with that. I think I'm going to have about 25 pounds worth of food and water with me. So I will be carrying 35, 40 pounds, but you know, it's, it should be fine. What, huh?
3: what, what will you be hiking? I'm curious.
2: I'm going into, uh, so we're going to stay in Curry village one. Uh, Keith, I'm supposed to, I'm, we're holding this oh, for no, next oh, show, but no, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So I'm, I'm going into Curry village, which is like the main, um, Area and then we're entering Mono Meadow, which is like off a of Glacier Point Road. So we've got to get a, ri- ri- a ride down there, and then from Mono Meadow up to uh, Little Yosemite um, Camp Campground, and then up onto Half Dome, and then spend some time hiking the John Muir Trail, and then out. Um, out back to the Curry Village area so you know we're just sort of winging it to see see how it goes once we get up on Half Dome
3: good for you good for you it's great it's
2: Great. Yeah, yeah yeah I'm excited so it's gonna it's a little stressful packing and getting ready for everything I've never actually packed hiking gear and you know to go on a plane and I'm super nervous because you have to check your bag because of the hiking poles and all that stuff and I'm afraid like they're gonna lose my luggage so we'll see how it goes but anyway next 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 episode we'll break that down but Moving on to search and rescue news here. A um, Also, Stomp, the, the, the title for this one is Bear Cam Saves Lost Hiker. Is this a bear cam, like a, a camera that's set up to watch a bear that can eat you, or what is this? Exactly, yeah.
1: There's a show called Help Me, and uh, fans basically log in and watch uh, a bear camera. And um, this one person, it
2: it saved his life. (laughs) It's a really cool story. Really, all right. So uh, here we go. So help me, fans, watch bear camera help save Alaska hiker's life. So wildlife enthusiasts watching a live feed from a remote national park spot a hiker in distress and alert authorities. <laughs> would you know if you saw that on the thing and you saw the like, oh, that guy looks like he might be in distress. Would you just keep watching or would you actually alert authorities? I feel like I'd probably keep watching because I'd be like, well, uh, I want to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> cruel, so cruel. <laughs> yeah well anyway, I guess they logged in on hoping <laughs> to see some brown bears gorging on salmon and instead they these these wildlife enthusiasts, um saw a disheveled and weather-beaten hiker shuffling into view, mouthing the words, help me, into the land. All right. Well, then that, if I did see that, I'd probably be like, uh, well, maybe I will call 911. Um, so the episode captured by a camera in Katmai National Park sparked a chain of events that ended with a safe recovery of the unknown hiker by search and rescue. Um teams according to rangers so um the park sent a search and rescue team to find this hiker who was caught in windy and rainy conditions with poor visibility and uh they found him a few hours later unharmed and brought him back to safety but um you probably don't want to be hiking and wandering off on a place where there's like known brown bears so he's lucky that he got out okay okay mm.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. A little further on in the article, it says that they actually were able to send a message through the camera, but uh, they don't know if the person heard the message or not.
2: Huh. Yeah, yeah. Interesting interesting. story. Yeah, and I guess there was a, uh, this, this, is a um, I guess they have an educational knockout style online competition held every year to see which of the park's beers has put on the most weight ahead of winter hibernation and last year, I feel like we covered this stomp, there was like a ballot stuffing scandal oh, um, Yeah, that's right Yeah, so there was like 9,000 fraudulent votes cast and then discounted for a former champion by the name of Holly. so I guess this beer, Holly, had like a bunch of fans and they figured out a way to game the the voting system online to give holly credit and they caught the caught the people so shame a lot of stuff going on in this feed i've tried to watch these wildlife i've seen like bird uh webcams and like waiting for like b- birds to hatch and stuff like that and it's it's basically just like watching paint dry
1: <laughs> it sure is
2: <laughs> So, anyway, um, so if that's the only national story that we have. Congratulations to the people that helped that hiker. Um, on to three stories of search and rescue on uh, our local trails here. The first one, Stomp, happened on September 5th. This was a rescue on the Jewel Trail, or the Jewel Trail, as I like to call it. Um, so, this is the story is loading Stomp, so I'm buying a little bit of time when my internet. Oh, that's fine.
1: Yeah, I can grab this one if you want. Um, Yeah, if you could. Tuesday, September 5th, at approximately 2 p.m., Fishing Game, uh, we're notified of an injured hiker on the Jewel Trail, which is uh, basically off the summit of Mount Washington. It's part of that famous loop there. You go up Ammanusik Trail and then down Jewel, back to the cog. Um, So this injured hike was approximately two-tenths of a mile below the Gulfside Trail Junction. Uh, The call came in via 911 which, as we know, will give uh, people, uh, responders, uh, coordinates as to where a person may be. And a rescue response was initiated by conservation officers and volunteers from Avasar, Androscoggin Valley Search and Rescue. And uh, let's see, while waiting for the rescue, the hiker was able to secure the injured leg with a knee brace and slowly worked her way up the trail towards the Mount Washington Summit And um, they made it to Gulfside Trail by 4 p.m., and at that time, the first rescuers were descending from the summit. So by 4.20 p.m., the first rescuers reached this person, and they were able to continue working with her as she walked under her own power and made it to the Cog Railroad tracks. And uh, from that place, they made a call to the Cog, and the last train departed the summit, stopped, and picked them up on the way down. <laughs> Pretty slick. Yeah, so once again, thank you, Cog Railroad,
2: yeah. for helping out. Great resource. Pretty neat story. Keith, do you want to weigh in on the Jewel versus Jewel debate?
3: <laughs> uh, always Jewel to me, but. It took me a long time before I went from Musalaki to Musalak. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not the best when it comes. You know, like I, I still get into it with like Triple I versus Triple E versus Triple. E. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people say things different ways. So, uh, but it was always Jewel to me.
2: Well, it's Jewel to Stomp and Jewel to Mike. So I guess there's no right or wrong <laughs> well, answer on that well, one. Yeah, so. I,
3: if, if if I was told I was wrong, I would believe it. I would have no problem believing it.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, this next one, uh, this is a incident that happened um, Sunday afternoon. So I think that's either the fifth or the sixth. Two fifteen fishing game was notified of an injured hiker, and this is an interesting one. I want to get you guys' perspective on a question I'm gonna I'm gonna ask in a minute. But the hiker had been descending Bunnell Notch Trail when he tripped and suffered an unknown leg injury. Um, rescue response was initiated. Um, Andrew Scoggin Valley Search and Rescue responded. The was a 37-year-old man from Windham, Maine. He'd been hiking with a group of people when the injury occurred. While awaiting rescuers, a member of the party splintered the injured leg. That's great to hear. Um, the injured hiker and his partners had departed earlier in the day from Unknown Pond. So they were doing the loop from Unknown Pond um, over to Kilkenny Ridge and then Bunnell Notch. So I'm assuming they were just doing that whole loop. The shortest distance to the hiker's location was to take the Old Mount Cabot Trail from East Lake. Lancaster up to the Kilkenny Ridge Trail. It's a bundled notch trail, which is approximately 2.8 miles. Uh, conservation officers were able to utilize ATVs to get within about a mile and a half of the, the victim, and then other responders hiked up the entire distance to reach him. So after rescue was arrived on scene, they packaged the, the victim into a litter and started the carrier at around 6.30. He was carried to the trail, got to the ATV around 7.40 or so, and then made his way... Um, out and was on his way uh, via ambulance to Weeks Medical Center for by 8:30 p.m. So uh, about a six-hour search and rescue here. But I found it interesting that they were able to utilize the old Mount Cabot Trail. So they must have an agreement with the landowners that for search and rescue operations they can use that. But that trail is is no longer available to hike because it's closed off because of private property owners. But I thought that that was interesting that the private property owner probably has an agreement or was nice enough to let search and rescue team members and, and SAR, fish, SAR um, conservation officers utilize it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, maybe an easement or something. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, maybe someday that trail will get opened back up again.
1: Possibility. That's a beautiful yeah. area, by the way. Unknown Pond is one of my favorite locations. Beautiful
2: yeah yeah I like the horn and the bulge it's it's a great great loop and then stop our last story of the evening is uh, Sunday September 3rd so we did we went a little out of order um 46 year old uh, female hiker from Millbury Mass was descending the Arethusa Falls trail when she slipped and injured her knee passing hiker was able to send a text message from further down the trail to notify rescuers of the incident um They could not, I guess the rescuers were looking to try to make contact. They couldn't make contact with the hiker or her partner. Um, I guess members of the Bartlett Jackson Ambulance Service responded with some conservation officers. By the time they got there to reach her, she was able to make progress descending the trail. She'd stabilized the injury with a brace, and she was provided with a pair of crutches and was able to make it to the trailhead under her own power. So uh, she got there around 5 o'clock. So small little incident. It, that turned out to be um, not that big of a deal. So so we got stomp.
1: Interesting that we're hearing more about uh, people with braces. So that's a good thing to see.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it was just a little whoopsie on Arethusa Falls. Yeah. If you can stabilize yourself and get moving, that's the way to do it. All right, Keith, um, before we wrap up, anything you want to plug? How can we get the book? Um, we'll make sure that we put everything in the show notes, but what? Uh, how, how can we uh, support you? Oh,
3: thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, some good news. We just got into REI in North Conway. So if you're in we're North good. Conway, there's White Birch Books, who's been a real big supporter of the book. But you can also get it in REI North Conway. In the Concord area, we're at Gibson's Bookstore in Manchester, the bookery. Peterborough, the Toadstool. So, independent bookstores are covering it, carrying it. Uh, you can certainly get it online at Amazon, um, but you can also find me online. You could you could always email me through Facebook, or I'm I'm pretty easy to find. But really, um yeah that that, that would be great. Um, and that's uh that that, that more than I could ask for.
2: Excellent. So we learned a lot tonight, Keith. We're going to book our trips to Acadia and we're going to be experts now because we know how to approach it correctly.
3: Yeah, it's a fun place. So I think it's, um, you know, I just think it's worth everyone's while to see it once and then decide if it's for you or not for you. You know, just like anything else, you know, you know, dip your toes in. and, uh, And if you like it, well, then, you know, you can go back and do a deeper dive
2: true and let's hope that i don't that's do great. any deep dives off of half dome when i'm gone and <laughs> we'll look forward to seeing you when we get back great. have
3: you seen valley Thanks, uprising the movie valley uprising
2: i yes okay. that's great yes. yes i'm going to be looking for that um that stash of uh, illicit yes. uh drugs and i'm going to go try to find it <laughs> when i'm out there if i have extra time <laughs> right
3: all right well thank so. you keith Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, gentlemen. It's always fun. It was a ball. It was a ball. Two hours tonight. Excellent. Two hours.
1: Two hours. That's right. And be safe, Mike.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com that's s-l-a-s-r podcast.com you can also follow the show on facebook and instagram we hope you'll join us next week for another great show until then on behalf of mike and stomp get out there and crush some mega peaks now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to
1: complete his most challenging day hike ever.
0: Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking
1: along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was
0: piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And well, there's three words to describe this race. Do all you know what they are? Oh!
3: is Lieutenant James Neeland from New Hampshire Fishing and Game. Lucinda, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.